You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. You know, we, uh, I love the way this is set up because we, we got to celebrate the gift of new life in our church. And in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate the gift of new life again in a different way. So if you would, open your Bibles to John 3. We're going to look at the most famous passage in the Scripture today. While you're there, I, uh, or while you're, you're getting there, if you need a Bible, by the way, we have house Bibles at the end of each row. We, we, just, we just really think um, it's important for God's people to have access to God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible, um, man, just grab one of those, take it home. Or better yet, tell one of our pastors and we will get you one with less coffee stains on it. But uh, as you turn into John 3, um, we're going to look at that passage. I want to I just throw something out there real quick. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you relate to this, but I feel like every now and then, every now and then I, I'm so caught up in the weeds of this world that I, that I need the Holy Spirit to just kind of push me back a little bit and, and give me a little perspective on, on what he's actually doing in this world and what he's actually doing with his kingdom. I, I just, sometimes I get so caught up. You know, we spent this whole month, right, talking about what it means to be God's people who, who are involved in the work of the kingdom, who, who get up off the bench, right, and, 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 and actually engage in the work. And we, we talked about just this simple truth of, do you love Christ more than the things of this world? Do we, do we love stuff or do we love Jesus? And I find myself often so caught up in the weeds of stuff that I know theologically will be destroyed by rust and moths, right? And yet it just seems like everything. It seems like the whole world. And sometimes I need the Holy Spirit to just knock me back a couple steps so I can see the bigger picture. If you ever want to experience this for yourself, I would recommend trying to renovate your kitchen by yourself. That's how I tried it this week. And it worked really well. I got to experience all my sin, all my fleshliness, all my obsession with the things of this world. Uh, it was terrible. But uh, no, no, I, I mean that seriously though, right? Like when you, when you have a stressful week, when things don't go your way, sometimes stuff can just get so big and so close to you that it seems like everything. And this morning I felt the Holy Spirit, as He does, so, so gently and tenderly just calming me down and pushing me back and saying, Sam, you just, you just need a bigger picture. You just need to chill out for a minute. You need to remember that that kitchen will rot, and in five years it won't be trendy anyway. <laughs> you need to remember that stuff doesn't matter. Moth and rust are going to eat it but me and you have forever. And I think all of us just need that reset every now and then. And that's why I love weekends when we get to celebrate both the ordinances like this. When we get to talk about baptism and communion in the same day. It's such a gift because God uses these things. You know, these are where we're talking about essentially traditions, right? that have existed in the church literally since Jesus was here. 
That communion and baptism have been part of the regular life and practice and worship of the church for 2,000 years. When we partake in communion and when we observe as witnesses baptism of believers, we are, we're, we're engaging in a work that our brothers and sisters have been engaging in since Jesus was here. And it's something that can slow you down and remind you the world is bigger than you. It's bigger than your immediate problems. It's bigger than the things that are frustrating you. And your story is bigger than your stuff. So read this passage with me. We're in John chapter 3. We're starting in the first verse. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness more than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to be brief here. I promise. I'm going to be brief. This is perhaps the most famous passage in all of Scripture. John 3.16, right, is the one Bible verse that everyone knows at least part of in some 
translation, but it's part of this larger passage, this story where a Pharisee comes to visit Jesus in the middle of the night and question him. And so here's what what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us just a couple contextual pieces, a couple historical pieces to kind of wrap our heads around this story. And then I think that's going to bring us to a truth the Holy Spirit has for us today regarding um, regarding baptism and regarding the gift of new life. And then we'll, we'll end out our time in Romans, and then we'll transition on to actually um, witness and partake in some baptisms. So really quick, we're in the Gospel of John, and if you've been hanging out with us in the month of September, we've had passages essentially from each of the Gospels, and John is the most unique of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels tell essentially the same story. They tell the life and ministry of Jesus. But John is is much, much more theological in his writing. He's He's very blunt about the fact that he's writing this entire book essentially as a way of engaging his reader in theological truths concerning the gospel. And so he tells Jesus' story uniquely compared to the other gospels. In fact, the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are often called the synoptic gospels because they're synonyms. They tell really close to the same story. But John tells the story much differently. He tells the story kind of in a different order to give flow to things. And so even though we're in John's telling, we're in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's already made a visit to Jerusalem for a feast. And essentially he's camping out outside the city. The city is so crowded for this feast that Jesus has gone outside the city limits and he's staying in these massive, essentially tent cities that that people would make when they came to Jerusalem for the feasts. And in the night, after he spent the day publicly teaching in the temple, in the night, one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, comes to visit Jesus. Now what you need to know about the Pharisees to, to give us a little bit of context here, is essentially there are, there are two kind of leading parties in the Jewish faith at this point, two kind of leading groups who really kind of set the pace for the theology. There, there are multiple groups, but the, the big ones are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they're sad, you see, uh, the Sadducees control the worship of God in the temple. And so they're mainly based out of Jerusalem. The Pharisees controlled the worship of God in, in uh, the synagogues. The churches spread out. And so they're essentially the religious leaders outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in Sadducee territory. And yet this Pharisee comes to see him. This religious leader, respected teacher, fellow rabbi, comes to see him in the night. And there's a million different reasons why you could point to that. Some people say he comes to Jesus in the night because he's ashamed of what his colleagues will think that he's gone to visit this rabbi. Other people say that he comes to Jesus in the night out of respect because he wants to have a one-on-one conversation with the rabbi and he knows that Jesus will be bombarded by people during the day. So he comes at night when he knows he can have his undivided attention. And we don't know. We don't know. But we know that for whatever reason, Nicodemus comes at night to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. And what you need to know about the Pharisees, about this man Nicodemus, is that these were the most learned, understanding, theological people of their day. The Pharisees devoted their lives to understanding, to nuancing, to living out the scripture. You see, the belief was in occupied Israel, Israel is conquered by the Romans, the belief amongst the Pharisees was, this has happened, we have been conquered as punishment for our sin. 
for not following the law. So if God's people, in their mind, the the Jewish people, if we can learn to follow the law just right, then God will remove his wrath and he'll come back and he'll restore Israel. And so the Pharisees devoted their lives to pushing the people to obeying the law as strictly as possible to try and appease God. The Pharisees were so stringent about moving the people to obey the law that they they developed this system they called hedge laws, where they said, man, if the law in in Leviticus says don't do this, we're going to set up a secondary law that says don't do this. That way you can't even get close to doing this right? They added all these extra regulations to go, if God said don't fill in the blank, we're just going to get like five steps away from that so that no one even comes close to breaking that law. These guys were the theologians of their day, the systematic theology professors of their day. These guys are brilliant. They're geniuses. They've given their lives to reading and learning and writing and parsing through the scripture. And this guy comes to meet Jesus and he essentially just says, what is your deal? What is your deal? You're not like us. You're traveling around and you're teaching and you're parsing through the law and people are following you and you're you're giving interpretations and thoughts in the law that none of us have thought about before. Dude, I've been studying this for years. And you're you're bringing up stuff that no one has mentioned before. What is your deal? And Jesus being Jesus Cuts right to the heart of the matter. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He cuts right to this. Nicodemus, you can't see what I'm doing. You won't understand it unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, understandably, looks at him like, what the heck are you talking about? What does that mean? You can imagine Nicodemus just being like, what? Born again? You want me to crawl up inside my mom and get born again? I don't think that's how it works, Rabbi Jesus. And it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. But Jesus, obviously, like on the other side of the cross, on the other side of 2,000 years of church history, we go, oh, well, Jesus is making, he's making an analogy here. He's, he's talking about birth as an analogy for the spiritual renewal that comes through salvation. But what we don't understand is this is a new concept. This is brand new. God is doing something new in Christ. There is a new covenant, a new way of understanding the law. And so when Jesus says, yeah, 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 but but listen, unless you're born of water and spirit, unless you have a new birth, unless you're born again, you just won't understand this. And Nicodemus pushes further. What does that mean? I don't understand this. How can this be? And Jesus gives him what is this beautiful image, but also if we're honest with it, it's kind of terrifying. Where Jesus just says, listen, man, the wind blows how it wants to blow. You can't control it. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. You don't understand this new thing God is doing. Because God hasn't shown it to you. And you can't make him do it. He does what he wants. So you just can't see it, man. That's heavy. Right? For some of you Reformed theologians, you're like, amen. 
But that's heavy if you think about it. Here's this guy who's, who's dedicated his life to parsing through the scriptures for the purpose of honoring God. You're talking about a guy who really loves God. And he's sitting with God, going, I don't get this. And God is looking at him going, yeah, you don't. That's painful. It's painful to think about. To think about the teacher of Israel, the man who's given his life, the theologian who's seeking to push God's people to honor God, sitting in a tent with God, clueless. And God is telling him, you just don't get it. It's something new. Your old way of understanding things, it just isn't going to get you there. Because here's the breakdown for Nicodemus. The whole point, the entire purpose of Pharisaical theology is controlling God. If we can do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, then God will do this. If we can put these right pieces in place, if we can understand this, move this, manipulate this, make people do this, then God will serve us. And so when Jesus comes to him and just says, you cannot understand the kingdom, because the kingdom is like the wind. You can't control it. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, your theology is too small for what God is doing. Your box is too small for the good news I have. You're trying to make God give you a blessing, and that's not how it works. As long as you keep trying to control him, you're just not going to see it. You're not going to see it. And then he gives, Jesus gives us the most clear articulation of the gift of the good news of the gospel here in verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What he says is, Nicodemus, this this new thing, this kingdom, it's about God's love for you. It's not about like parsing through the law and getting strict obedience and fulfilling a contract so that God is obligated to bless you. This new thing is about God loving you and loving you so much that he has a gift for you that he just wants you to, he just wants you to have it. He just wants to give you life. You don't have to manipulate it out of him. You can just have it. But you can't see it. You can't see it because you'd rather be in darkness. Because you're too stuck in your system. You're too stuck in your theology. You're too stuck in your rut. You would rather stay in darkness than just step into the light and have this gift. And you're not going to see it while you're there. It's not going to work. This passage is kind of rough right? Jesus sits with this man and just dismantles his understanding of God and just says, that won't work. God is doing something new, something better. And he's not going to back up and fit into your box just because you want him to. Beloved, this is the truth of the gospel for us today. Jesus has a gift for you. And that gift is life. That gift is peace. That gift is forgiveness from sin. 
that the brokenness of this cursed world that creates things like tsunamis and disease and robberies and racism and abuse, that those things don't get the final say on this world. That those things don't have to own you and define you. Beloved, Jesus has made a way for you to have a life. And that is a gift that God chooses to give to his children. He just chooses to give it to us. And so what I love, what I love about this image Jesus gives here of a new birth is what he's basically saying is, man, when you... When your lenses flip and you see this and the Spirit of God illuminates the truth of the gospel to you and you find life and salvation in me, you're not a changed person, you're a new person. It's like you're a new human being. I read a testimony of some ministry that was being done in Laos and this this man had this testimony, just this brutal guy who ran a brothel and beat his wife and kids and got, you know, like all the terrible, awful things that a guy would tell in his testimony. And, and, he, and he meets Jesus and he finds life and salvation and change. And, and a few months later at his church, at his baptismal service, his wife is in the water with him and she says, God did not change my husband. God gave me a new husband. Beloved, this is the truth of the gospel. That in the kingdom of God, we are born anew. We just spent a few minutes celebrating the gift of new life and birth. (laughs) Right? How good is our God that he has given us children to celebrate. But man, that points, that points us to a deeper reality in the gospel. That, that in Christ, in the life, in the, in the promise that, that Jesus made, in the gift He gave on the cross with His blood, there is a new life open and available to all of us. A new birth, a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. Born of water, sure. A born of spirit. A new birth. So that's what we're going to do today. In, in, in a few minutes, here's, here's how we're going to kind of work this gathering to an end. What we're going to do is we're going we're to sing a little more. We're going to take communion. And, and, and that's an important part of this. And then we're going to talk about testimonies. And, and here's the reason why we're doing it this way. When we, when we take communion, communion is the ordinance that we participate in the most. When we take communion... We're remembering Christ's blood and Christ's body broken, right? Christ, which by the way, we use the word ordinance. Some of you guys, if you grew up in high church world, maybe you're used to hearing the seven sacraments, right? We talk about the two ordinances here. We use that number and that word specifically. We use the word ordinance because these are things that Christ ordered. He he ordered us to do these things while he was on earth. And we we acknowledge the two that, that are prescribed in Scripture, which is celebration of communion and celebration of baptism. And I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, poop on sacrament theology, if that's your deal. But this is the way we do it. We, we celebrate the ordinances, and we want to celebrate them both together. We celebrate communion often, right? 
And it's, it's a way of when we, when we take the bread and we, and we, and we, and we dip it in, in the juice and we, we remember Christ's body broken, his blood poured out. It's this remembering of the sacrifice that God made. It's, it's a reminder of the penalty of sin, that this sin has caused death and it's caused destruction. And Christ, in his love, because God so loved the world that Christ took that punishment. He experienced that death and that pain for us. And so when we, when we eat of the elements, and, and, and we get this weird analogy, right, where, where your life ultimately is sustained by the food you eat, by the things that die to make your food, whether they're animals or plants, these things die so that you can have life. In the same way as we eat of those things, we remember that Christ died, that we might have life. And then in a few minutes after that, when we, when we walk into the pool and we see people dipped in the water and pulled out, we're, we're reminded that Christ's death isn't the end of the story. That even though Christ died for us, Christ also resurrected for us, and Christ also ascended to heaven for us, and Christ also sits at the right hand of God in eternity for us. And when, when, we, when we dip in the water and they come out of the water, we're reminded of this truth that that man, just as Christ's death paid the penalty of our sin, Christ's resurrection guarantees us a spot in eternity. These ordinances, I think, exist. I think God gave them to us as a gift because he knows that we're fragile. And he knows that we get caught in the weeds of the world and we get angry and frustrated over stuff. And when we engage in the ordinances we can step back and we can remember, oh, Christ's body was broken for me. Christ's blood was poured out for me. Christ was, was buried and resurrected and ascended for me. And it, and it draws us back to the truth of the gospel. It's, it's a gift from God to us. So here's, here's what I'm going to do to kind of end out our time. We're going to we're going to read a passage in Romans. And this is where we get some of our language and some of our theology of, of baptism. And this is going to be how we kind of end out our time. I'd like for you guys to all actually all read this with us. We're in Romans chapter 6. At this point in his letter to the Roman church, Paul has, has explained in his letter essentially this idea that grace is a free gift from God. He's talked about how we cannot actually work. We can't do enough good things to obtain right standing before God. And we have to depend on the grace of Jesus, on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And starting in chapter 6, it says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, when we celebrate the ordinances, when we engage in communion and we witness baptism, we are declaring to each other and to the world, Christ came to earth, the creator of the universe, came to this broken and sinful and cursed world and met his creation in the midst of their death and he sacrificed himself for us. We are declaring publicly that our perfect, sweet Jesus, that his body was broken and his blood was shed, not for anything he did, but for our sin. And that the power of God met Christ in death and beat the power of death and drew him back to life and resurrected him and took him to heaven so that God might be glorified in God's creation's might be made new in him. Might be born a second time. Not born as sinful, cursed humans, but born as washed, sinless, righteous children of God. As we partake, we are declaring that to ourselves, to each other, to the world, What a gift. What a thing to declare. What a thing to celebrate. So beloved, let's let's sing this song. Let's do this thing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.